umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're back after taking a brief hiatus spurred by the cancellations of the Maryland, Ohio State, and then the bonus Iowa game that was canceled. So we have a lot to go over. So, Clint, what are your thoughts initially on how Michigan uh, weathered these these cancellations due to COVID? Well, I... Is disappointing, you know, but it's tough to really put your finger on who or what you're disappointed in. You know, the it's just uh, it's a weird Saturday that that Michigan's not playing. You know, so it it was awkward and and, and strange um, with, with how poorly Michigan played at times this year. There there was a little bit of relief <laughs> there, um, but you know, it's been it's been weird. It's been weird and, um, and frustrating a lot like when they were playing the games. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to really kind of encapsulate it, but the, um, I, I just, I don't think that the big 10 starting kind of at the top, I, I just don't think that the big 10 handled things as cleanly, uh, as they could have obviously at the front end. And when the the leaders of your organization um, struggle the way that the Big Ten did in August, uh, it's going to make for you know it's going to make for a weird tail whip at the end of the uh, process. And I think that's really what we ended up seeing coming down the home stretch in December. So that I I still kind of lay this at the feet of the conference um, and, and being indecisive. And then um, trying to make up for that indecision with, uh, you know, some some really, you know, some tire uh, COVID protocols and, and 21 day layoff protocols that, um, you know, were tighter than anybody else in the nation. So it was it was just strange, and uh, it affected Michigan um, at the end of the year more where some other programs were affected earlier in the year. My initial thought is you hate to end the season on uh, a, a poor performance. And Michigan had a number of poor performances, but it really was uh, accentuated by losing to uh, uh, a winless Penn State team at home. And I know the uh, it doesn't matter so much that it, was a, that it was at home because not only were the fans not there, but, but it was a completely empty stadium. Even the, the families uh, weren't able to attend. But from a from a team standpoint, the ending with the three cancelizations cancelizations really prevented them kind of getting uh, you know from ending on a high note. You want the chance to to rinse that bad taste out of your mouth, and when you look at the the schedule, you you, you end with that thump against Penn State and and really didn't get a chance to to uh, go with any positive momentum into the off season. Right now, I will tell you that. Due to the way the season was going, I had no taste for the Maryland game. I was dreading it, so it, it didn't hurt my feelings at all when that game was canceled. 
I was really disappointed to see the Ohio State game canceled. Um, again, no matter no matter how bad the result may have been, you, you know, you always have a fighting chance. And to have the game canceled really kind of just uh, kind of bummed me out. You know, added added another disappointment to an already disappointing season. Um, I no harm, no foul. Um, eliminating the Iowa game again, more Big Ten shenanigans. Um, you know. Uh, Michigan was going to be, you know, going on the road against a team with a much better record, you know, and I understand that they were trying to preserve some of the uh, rivalry games, but just, uh, again, more, uh, again, I'll just use the word shenanigans from the Big Ten, just, uh, again, whatever. Uh, So I guess when that game was canceled, it it didn't hurt my feelings uh, that much either. Um, the, The word going around is that, Michigan is uh, probably going to decline going to a bowl game. So we're, we're waiting for that official notice. And, and really, that's kind of where we are right now. I, I kind of feel that we're in this limbo. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wondered, you know, I always like to define, you know, what exactly is limbo? Well, I looked up the definition, an uncertain period of awaiting a decision or resolution an intermediate state or condition, right? And that's exactly how we how I feel right now. I feel like we're waiting on if Michigan is going to go to a bowl game. We're waiting on if Jim Harbaugh is going to get an extension. One thing we're not waiting on is that Michigan was actually able to put together a fairly decent recruiting class, and that was one of the concerns that, that people had with um, Jim Harbaugh's status, uh, his renewal kind of being – uh, rumored out there, but but not actually inked and and done. So, you know, first things first. I'm not super excited about uh, the team going to a bowl game, but in practical terms, I really think they could use whatever additional practices that would give them. I mean, that's the thing that we say every year, um, and you can say that about any program. When a when a program doesn't get the chance to go to a bowl game. They really lose out on the opportunity to evaluate players and kind of set the stage for the next season. So um, we will we will wait to hear about the official word. But uh, you know, considering the how disappointing this season has been, I you know I could live with them not playing the game. I wish there was some way they could uh, they could get the practices. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all if they uh, if they were to practice for three weeks and then decide not to go to a uh, quote-unquote COVID uh, situation. Um, but, again, it would be nice if somehow there would be some way they could practice. But other than that, I, I have no appetite for, for a game at this point. Yeah, and it, it, the last two cancellations, first against Ohio State and then against uh, Iowa, it, Michigan was really trying to get the kids to the building and practice and, and, and be – creative with their scheduling and flexing people around trying to get uh enough guys in workout gear to even put together a functional practice um and that i'm not sure how much how productive uh a week or two weeks of practice in that kind of chaotic state i don't know how i don't know how who would be served and, and by how much um, so it, it, it's just been obviously a crazy season. Um, now that we've had, uh, time to kind of 
settle in with all of the disappointment went with how poorly Michigan played when they did play and then the cancellations and kind of the, the hole at the end of the season with not playing in uh, the Michigan or the Ohio state game. That's uh, you know, I am I'm, I'm ready to, to try to figure out uh, you know, going forward, what are the best things to do for the program? And uh, it's going to start again, kind of with a, a, a 10,000 foot view and what are, what's going to be different about, you know, all of NCAA football and, and what's, what are the big, what's the big 10 going to do? How do things kind of uh, evolve in 21 with, uh, with COVID and, and protocols and trying to standardize the way that uh, at least uh, the different programs and, and maybe the different conferences are kind of reacting. So I think there are some high level big ticket questions to answer so that um, programs can start gearing up for spring ball. Um, at least the ones that aren't going to get selected for the, uh, for the playoff today. And uh, though that conversation is the one that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to um, as opposed to the immediate right now, because it, um, I think you picked the right word <clears throat> with limbo because the, it's there's nothing productive for us to be able to try to 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 see or, or discuss happening right at the moment. It's all kind of pending. It, it, it's like a, a video that's buffering right now. We know that there's a lot coming down the pike, um, but uh, we need some of those uh, dominoes to fall first so that we can actually see what the landscape is going to be and then and then discuss how Michigan is going to try to navigate that landscape. You know, and I think that's a good point. One of the the major things that I've noticed in uh, over this last month, right, is that one of the things Michigan really needs to address is how they communicate with the fans and how they communicate with the media. And, uh, you know, when we went through that stretch of the Maryland and Ohio State cancelization. You had this thing where, you know, Kirk Herbstreet comes out and says, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan waved the white flag. And, you know, I, I like Kirk. I think he's one of the better commentators. He's definitely one of the better X's and O's guys. Um, you know, that kind of whipped up a firestorm that Michigan had to respond to. And let's just be clear. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the team wanted to play. I think um, Coach Harbaugh wanted to play, but you kind of had this mini firestorm that I don't think they they really addressed very well. Um, you know, by having the uh, the early week press conference where they were talking about you know responding to canceling the Ohio State game and 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 I I really think that you know we can get like you said you don't really want to get into the nuts and bolts of the tactics right now, but from an overall standpoint communication is something they need to do better, right? There's very much uh, we're Michigan and, uh, you know, Clint, you and I are both Michigan alums. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, being a, a alums and, and, you know, being proud alums, we care, carry a certain amount of that Michigan arrogance that sometimes aggravate people. But when you're communicating, you really need to be clear. And the way that they addressed, you know, for example, well, 
We had practice on Monday, where, you know, which makes it look like they're going to gear up for the Ohio State game and then ended up pulling the plug. And, and from what we've learned and what we've heard, and I say heard because, again, you know, the communication, really, they didn't have enough people even to practice. Like you said, they were having trouble getting people to the game. So, you know, you know, one of the big things that uh, John Bacon says that uh, Don Canham was famous for was don't turn a one day story into a two day story. And I really feel like they turned uh, the Kirk Herbstreet story into, uh, you know, a never ending saga of how they communicate their COVID um, numbers and, and uh, how they do. But again, so just not to get into the into the nuts and bolts, but I think communication is something they could do better. Um, and, and I think this, you know, uh, leads us to the next thing. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh has has one more year. Right. So. Obviously, uh, his status didn't have a, a super negative impact on recruiting. Um, you know, according to the two four seven rankings, they still ended up with um, you know a number of good recruits, and ended up fourteen second in the Big Ten, of course, to Ohio State, um, which is uh, which you know is, is kind of predictable. So, Clint, what are some of the big things that you would like to to have a better understanding of or, or see addressed as we? headed to this weird off season. Well, the, the contract situation with Harbaugh, uh, kind of leads that for sure. Cause it's, uh, it's the first indicator from ward manual on the direction of the program. All right. There's clearly an opportunity here to change direction. If, if ward manual saw fit to change direction with the program, then the case is there. Um, uh, Again, I, I, I still am slightly on the side of figuring out how to make it work with Harbaugh as long as, you know, he's still engaged and, and, and wants to be the coach, which he has said pretty clearly that he wants to be the coach and hasn't really um, shown any any signs of not wanting to be the coach. He just has not performed uh, as well recently as even he, he had started. So I, I think that's the first like I said, the first domino is to understand what is the division for the direction of the program from the athletic director. And if uh, Harbaugh is going to be the, the long-term solution from here forward. Um, so that's, that's the first part of it. The fact that everything lingered all the way to this point still is more about COVID. I think in, in, it still comes back to February when they had started their contract negotiations and, and then spring ball was canceled in March and everything went crazy. Um, and then the, the, the main focus became the athletic department budget. And I think that those budget questions right now are the main flies in the ointment in terms of hammering out a deal that was probably pretty close to done in principle back, um, you know, 10 months ago. So those are legitimate sticking points. You know, the, the athletic department's budget having a, a kind of a, a shotgun hole blasted right through it um, by COVID and the lack of revenue um, for, you know, year over year is, is still a problem. And your, your highest paid employee being Jim Harbaugh, you know, there's going to be a lot of 
uh, future decisions that are kind of based on on how this contract extension gets gets handled. So there's a there's a lot more detail here than you know some people that are oversimplifying, saying that just because this hasn't been done, then they're clearly going in another direction. It I don't think that it's quite that simple. So I, I want to see exactly how it gets handled and. Um, I still take Jim Harbaugh at his word from um, one of the last game week press conferences when somebody asked about his contract status. And he said, well, I'll let actions speak because they speak louder than words. You know, and so how how this shakes out and what he does in December and, and maybe early January here, um, it, I think I, I believe him when he says that he'll make it perfectly clear what what he plans to do so i i think still that that keeping harbaugh is is the plan uh i i'm still an advocate of that um and like i said in the past uh if they do go in another direction there's clearly a a, a very uh an easily defensible case for for changing directions and going in another direction but i it, if it was me i wouldn't do that at this point i think that um there just needs to be a, a pretty, uh, pretty detailed accounting of where the program is falling short right now because what the pandemic did is really expose a lot of the cracks in, in the foundation of the program that were small problems that added up into losses in Harbaugh's first five years, and, and that foundation started to crumble in 2020 with the uh, the weight of the pandemic on top of it so uh whether it's a new coach or harbaugh you're gonna have to answer those questions um i i still think that harbaugh can be the right guy to answer those questions well it's interesting you mentioned that the pandemic has shown the cracks in in the program i think that the pandemic has has also shown the cracks in the whole model right um across uh you know, intercollegiate football, you know, at, from a large scale. I was reading a, a financial analysis and it made a really interesting point that the programs with the biggest problems are actually some of the biggest programs, okay? Whereas, you know, and, and it, it's kind of, you know, you kind of have to run through it. But like, for example, the Big Ten shares uh, bowl revenue equally, right? Well, one of the things, and, and TV network revenue equally, but one of the things it doesn't share is local revenue, right? So think about Michigan. Michigan generates a ton of concessions, a ton of game day revenue, and you know, obviously bigger than, shall we say, Indiana or Northwestern. So Michigan's problems are amplified because they didn't have that, that huge game day revenue and the smaller programs, yeah, they had problems, but it's a smaller uh, percentage, right? It's it exponentially smaller. So the analysis being is that um, the the programs that are that are really struggling are the ones that are that kind of had this big cushion of of game day revenue that they you know they're not going to have they didn't have this season, and hopefully we will have something next season. But you know when you think about the larger cracks, right? Um, how many people are, you know, so you had this season that was TV only, 
how many people is it going to dawn on that it's a lot easier to watch from home and and tailgate from home in your backyard than go through the game day experience, right? Um, I, I think that, and, and, and we don't know, right? We don't know how that's going to shake out. But what we do know is that um, student attendance has been an issue for years, right? And we would look in the press box and look over at the student section at being a third or half full at the beginning of the game. And, and it would usually, you know, catch up by halftime. But again, you've broken that routine. You've broken that rhythm. Are they going to come back? How many are going to come back when, uh, you know, anticipating that we have a vaccine? You know, there's some people who aren't going to get the vaccine. I mean, I think that the whole model is is basically being questioned right now. So the thing that um, Ward Manuel is struggling with, and I think athletic directors across the country are struggling with, is what does this new model look like? Um, you know, recently... Um, the uh, Michigan legislature made a move toward enabling college students being able to, um, you know, make money off of their likeness. That's going to uh, change things. It, and it's a positive change. I mean, I, Clint, I think you and I agree. The model needs to tilt more in favor of the student athletes than it has been. Um, one of the struggles you have is that, uh, you know, the golden goose doesn't look so fat uh, may not be as fat heading out, right? So there's a lot of things that need to be adjusted. Um, I, you know, and I agree with you. I think that um, in principle, um, Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel had an agreement. And I think one of the things to, to consider in that is it is not unusual, okay? Even, even not in a COVID situation, it is not unusual for um, a coach in a university or even a pro team to have an agreement, and it take months to work out the uh, the nuts and bolts of the contract. I mean, it is it is not unusual for the signing to be a great you know period of time later. You know, after after everything gets worked out. I think uh, what's interesting in this case is considering the amount of revenue that the athletic department was bringing in pre-COVID, and when uh, Jim Harbaugh started his negotiations. I think he was looking at a fairly healthy contract extension that just can't be justified right now, right? So the question is, and, and I've heard a couple of different scenarios floated. So one is that, you know, and, and this has been, you know, reported by, by different people in the media. One is that he signs a, a lower base contract with numerous incentives and escalators. That seems to be reasonable. I think the question becomes, can his ego take that, right? Is, is he willing to do that? I think the other interesting, more interesting scenario is that he rides the year out and, and uh, you know, uh, perhaps thinks that he'll have a stronger negotiating, uh, you know, uh, stance or, or, or have more facts after or, you know, midway through next season. And uh, I really hope they don't do that. It will just be having, you know, there were already enough uh, comments during the broadcast this year of, of people talking about his contract rather than the game. I really hope that, that we don't have an entire offseason of, of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think it would be, uh, on an individual level, interesting if um, – because both the, the COVID budget problems and 
a two and four season, you know, Harbaugh lost a lot of negotiating power just just using logic, right? From a business standpoint, this is not the right time if you're Jim Harbaugh that you want to be going in there trying to negotiate contract terms. You know, everything is not in a good spot. You know, the the finances are 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 lean at the minimum, right? And his performance was, was not good. You know, probably the, the, the worst that we've seen, um, you know, since uh, at least a couple coaching transitions ago. So he certainly has the least amount of leverage right now. So the question would become whether they have to get the deal done right now or would he risk going into next season um, with just the remaining year on his contract? And the main reason that people said that that was not a, a possibility was because of the impact that it would have on recruiting, that people would be using that as a, as a hammer uh, against Harbaugh on the recruiting trail. So now that they're through signing the, the large majority of their class for this year and still some activity to come um, in early 21, then he's gotten past the major hurdle of not having to get the deal done now when he's in a weaker position. So he's at least one step closer now that we're past signing day and there were only two defections from his class uh, that was committed verbally. Um, so it's at least one step closer to that. But, but I agree, even if he's finding a way to communicate with families and recruits, um, that he's committed to the university, it still creates a, a cloud over the program uh, through spring ball, through the, the summer off season, and then the lead up to, to hopefully what's closer to a normal fall season next year. You don't want the first thing constantly to be about the coach and, and his contract. Um, I, I would think, but you know, that, that, just because we don't think that it's a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it won't happen. And uh, especially if, uh, if that's the incentive that, that, you know, instead of putting financial incentives into a new contract and extending it, um, you know, may, maybe that's, maybe that's the, the position that Harbaugh has is that, you know, to improve his negotiating position, that's all the incentive he needs on top of, uh, a 21 season and you know we'll talk about this again in at thanksgiving next year um which, which is very possible i mean oregon just extended their coach um once once the firing start in november the typical coaching carousel starts late season um that might that might be the time that they end up uh signing a new deal next year but uh, i agree with you that's not ideal but uh it certainly can't be dismissed as impossible because we know that that Harbaugh operates kind of in his own manner and uh he's he's kind of painted into a corner right now from a negotiating standpoint um so uh, I would I would imagine that he's he's thinking even more creatively about how he wants to solve this from from his own standpoint and, and I, there's no way as a competitor that he wants to accept this as an exit strategy. If he's not the coach going into 21, it's, it's not, this is not the way that he wanted it to end. So, um, 
I still think that there would have to be significant problems that, that exploded on the table um, uh, for, for it not to get done personally. But uh, again, it, it's a non-zero probability, you know, that, that they could move in another direction because there's, there's enough complexity here and enough disagreement about the way that they want everything to work out uh, financially that, I, it could fall apart, but I, I I am more inclined to believe that they'll find a creative way to incentivize Harbaugh through the 21 season and at least uh, a couple of years after. Um, and uh, I think Jim's main motivation is going to be improving his uh, the, the leverage that he's got when they do another long-term deal or if he's ready to move on to some other role. And I would think that that takes at least uh, two or three full season cycles. So we would be talking uh, a contract that gets him out to maybe 2023 or, or, or thereabouts. So Clint, you and I pay close attention to Michigan football. I think that's fair to say. And uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to observe coach Harbaugh up close. There's one thing that crossed my mind, right? And you know, we uh, we see him, he goes out, when he went out to the satellite camps, you know, they were playing shirts and skins, and he has a shirt off and, and playing quarterback. And uh, a story surfaced of um, a former or a current NFL player talking about how um, when he was with the 49ers, he dressed up in full gear and, and practiced the, the whole session. Pads, helmets, and everything. He had the whole uniform on, okay, from uh, Delaney Walker, right? And, you know, he said, hey, he did pretty good. He couldn't throw the deep, deep pass, but other than that, he did well. But what's interesting, and, and I thought this quote was telling, Harbaugh doesn't surprise anyone. He does whatever he feels like doing. Truthfully, I think Harbaugh still thinks he's a player, not a coach, right? And... You know, there are times, I mean, he's out there throwing passes when Tom Brady visited. So what I'm wondering is, you know, if you're a player and you believe in yourself, you know, we've seen where players will come back in their contract year, right? And and I, and I wonder if he's approaching this contract extension uh, more as a player rather than a coach, I, I'm wondering if that increases the possibility that he might let this stretch out. And... You know, I think one thing we can agree on is that Harbaugh is not the most conventional guy, right? And, uh, you know, I, I've been I've been turning this over and over in my mind is that, you know, I don't think he sees it's a problem, right? And, uh, you know, one of the things about, you know, observing Jim Harbaugh and hearing him speak is that he has a rather unique view of the world, right? Um which is not that different from a lot of coaches, but he has a, a kind of a, he's different from from most coaches, right? So here's a guy who is successful, a successful college player, a successful NFL player, and I'm wondering if he's looking at this more of, hey, you guys have a question, let me show you what what I can do. Um, and again, as you said, they avoided the uh, the catastrophe that many thought would happen on signing day. So it, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, there is another, uh, you know, we talked about doom and gloom for collegiate football. There, there is another side to that, right? There is a school of thought that says that when sports comes back, 
there's going to be so much pent up uh, demand that it's going to it's going to increase advertising that that the stadiums will be full that people will be beating down the doors and and then perhaps revenue increases right um, you know hope perhaps the pie grows for everybody so um, you know Jim makes a uh, prides himself in saying that he doesn't you know have an agent out there uh, you know uh, beating up opportunities for him but He's a smart guy. Um, I'm sure that he talks to financial people who are looking at the projections, and he might think that it, it makes sense to uh, to ride this out and see how it goes, right? Um, so it's interesting. I mean, you know, to kind of take an NFL analogy, you know, I, I'd want to just slap him with the franchise player tag and see how this works out. <laughs> uh, but so it'll be interesting if, what he and Ward are doing right now is trying to work out some kind of creative, um, boy, not even an extension, but a placeholder, right? Because I can see from both sides, it would, they really, you know, I don't think Ward wants to really make a deal right now. I don't think Jim really wants to make a deal or there are reasons not to make a deal because of all the unknowns. Uh, but I, I really, uh, you know, I don't think it's productive for this to be, you know, every time, you know, uh, when Michigan comes out for their um, their uh, season opener next year for the graphic to be under Jim Harbaugh, you know, uh, contract expiring and, and let the uh, commentators, you know, chew on that every game. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But, um, you know, but there's always, you know, Jim Harbaugh operates the, the way that he, that, that he wants, you know, and, and sometimes – um, for all the complexities and, 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 you know, pages and pages can be written and a lot of words can be said when you start discussing this stuff. But many times, at least in my mind, the, the stuff with Harbaugh boils down to, to things that are pretty simple. And, um, you know, I, I could hear him kind of saying pretty, pretty shortly and, and curtly to, to the media, well, you know, the contract goes another year. I'm still a coach. I'm here. I'm coaching. I'm doing my job, right? The, the contract stuff will work out. It'll be fine. You know, I, I'm not worried about my own contract status. I'm worried about, you know, picking up the pieces and, and putting together, a, you know, possibly putting a staff back together here in the next month or, or you know, really hitting the ground running on, on the, the 2022 recruiting class. So, I think many people think that that's uh, it's his his way of dodging the tough questions, and and sure maybe that's maybe that's part of it, but it also could be that 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 he's telling you what he's focused on right at that moment, and, and your point there was was very strong that right now there are many reasons that both the athletic department doesn't really want to hammer out a deal and be wrong. And and be overextended or committed with with some major buyout potentially hanging over their head uh, in another if it's another poor year for Harbaugh and you really have to legitimately think about um, you know firing him and moving on you don't want a, a seven figure buyout hanging over your head to be able to make that decision so th there are multiple reasons on both sides that they don't necessarily want. 
to get tied up here until you understand more about the, the, the playing field that they're playing on. So um, it's a, it's a legitimate chance that we get into spring and summer still talking about this because, you know, uh, Harbaugh doesn't particularly care if the media is, is upset or, or there's a lot of drama swirling as long as he's coaching football and feels like he's preparing his team to win he's, he's going to be fine, you know? So it, it, it could happen, you know, they could sign a deal tomorrow and, and we look kind of crazy for even, you know, overanalyzing the, the possibility that this lingers, but um, that's the whole, that's kind of the, the moral of the story for today is that this is, it could go in, in any number of directions. And I, I think we I think we will get some answers um, through the holiday season here and, and the first couple weeks of January. And, and I think by the time we're ready to talk again, um, we'll at least have some, some understanding of what the next steps will be. But for right now, Harbaugh's the coach. And I would imagine um, having gotten past that hurdle of early signing day, pretty much keeping that class together despite all these contract questions, that's a sign to me that that they're preparing to figure out how to how to start improving on on the glaring weaknesses that we saw in the 2020 season so obviously if somehow there's a scenario where jim harbaugh walks that's an entirely different podcast with many other items to discuss but as you said assuming that uh jim harbaugh remains the coach what observations did you take from signing day uh, and I and I'm referring to which coaches were visible and which coaches kind of uh, disappeared into the bushes, shall we say? Well, the, the I follow the the recruiting activity um, somewhat. I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert, but I do try to read what the experts are saying. The people that follow it very very heavily, and the two the two kids that were committed. Um, verbally to Michigan, but then signed elsewhere. Uh, one went to Maryland and one went to UCLA. And, and I believe one of them had uh, his strong personal connection to Michigan was actually through uh, Sean Nua, the defensive line coach. So, so that was one uh, kind of unspoken uh, facet that, that I kind of took out of that was that um, both players that committed somewhere else were defensive players. I think that kind of lines up with what we've um, said that we expect to happen. A lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball, probably including uh, moving on from Don Brown as the coordinator. And then uh, Sean Nua being a defensive coach uh, in the defensive line, having having um, multiple problems, especially on the interior. Um, you know, can't really hold the injuries to Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson against Sean Nua, of course. But um, I, I think there was some more evidence that, that there's going to be coaching staff turnover on the defensive side uh, from what we saw uh, in the recruiting standpoint. I, I know uh, the cornerbacks coach, Mike Zordich, he's, uh, he's, he's more of an on-field coach that's what his strength is he's he's never been highly active on the recruiting side so i don't know whether or not 
to to take anything out of his lack of activity yesterday out there publicly. Um, but the, the defensive coaching staff was was pretty quiet um, as opposed to uh, Sharon Moore, you know, the tight ends coach, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, Jay Harbaugh, the running backs coach. Those guys were, were all out there pretty publicly, um, you know, discussing the, the as the as the players were signing. So they were much more visible, um, which to me, you know, lines up with, you know, some major major defensive staff changes coming. Yep, and I think uh, while, again, put together a really good class, you know, and that's kind of the boilerplate you always you always say, but genuinely I was surprised at uh, some of the things in the class. What I was disappointed by was that I think we can agree we really need help on defense. <laughs> so it was disappointing to see us lose those two guys right out of the gate. Um, so, Clint, and again, we're, we're, we're working in the dark here. Um, what would you like, okay, assuming that Don Brown is leaving, that the uh, Don Brown era of solving your problems with aggression has come mm-hmm. to an end, and, uh, you know, admittedly, you know, the, the two injuries of Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay really, uh, you know, you started out with a, with a rough year that the defense was really going to have to pull together and, and just – you know, stepped in a huge hole right out of the gate with those injuries. But um, what kind of a defense do you would you personally like to see Jim Harbaugh migrate to? And um, I don't know if you have somebody in mind, but um, is there a defensive style or a defensive uh, alignment uh, that that you think um, would would work well in the Big Ten? And you know, I think the the larger question is how do we stop Ohio State? What what kind of uh, what kind of attack would we need to to change the the tune of Ohio State drumming Michigan at the end of every season? Yeah, I, I those those are absolutely the right questions to to ask. I think that if you build a defense that can stop uh, Ohio State or let's say contain them, let let's say that you got to keep them under thirty points, which Northwestern was able to do yesterday, even as they lost the big 10 championship game, I would say that that was a, a relatively, I would call it a successful defensive game from, from Northwestern yesterday. Their defense gave them a chance to win. Their offense couldn't do it. Um, you know, Ohio state scored 22 points and 16 of it in the second half. So, uh, however, you know, they had, a, a the running back, um, sermon, ran for you know 250 you know, almost 300 yards on the ground um so offensively ohio state has really really turned the corner and, and become dominant on the offensive line in in the run game and for all of the accolades that justin fields get in the the speed and, and big playability from the receivers that that have kind of the flash in the pan that we've all kind of directed our attention to in reality, it's the backbreakers um, um, in the ground game uh, going back at least a decade against Michigan that Ohio state has, has been able to puncture and create big running plays in key spots. And, and I think that's where that's what I would try to focus on creating a defense that 
um, maximizes the personnel that you're going to have on hand to to be able to stop um, the the main running attack that Ohio State likes to use, um, which is kind of an inside zone or, or what they call duo, uh, because it's a lot of double teams inside. Basically, you get two offensive linemen. And their job is to drive the defensive lineman back into the linebacker. So you end up kind of driving your, your, the defensive lineman into the linebacker. So you're getting two blocks. You know, two guys are, are blocking two guys, but really you're double teaming one guy and pushing him into another guy. So um, to be able to fight that, they've got to strengthen where they're at internally uh, on the defensive line. And and that starts with player development. And that's I think that's part of uh the the issue right now with sean nua um you know there's a lot of young talent right now in that defensive line room um but they're they're short there's not as much as there has been um traditionally right so guys like mozzie smith chris hinton donovan jeter are all kind of uh question marks as to you know where are these guys why aren't they stepping up and, and becoming um, you know, critical players at, at this point. And um, from a scheme standpoint, Don Brown, what he wanted to do, again, this is very high level and, and generic. His idea was to try to force defenses to spill everything to the outside. And he wanted linebackers like Devin Bush that were fast enough to run it down, right? That basically... He wanted to clog everything in the middle and and then be able to run it down because he was confident that his defense was going to be faster than yours and and was highly successful from you know twenty sixteen through you know probably twenty eighteen and and you know mildly successful in nineteen um, but but in the last two years we've seen more and more that Michigan just cannot hold up sh- straight uh, downhill running attacks. Uh, in t- interior. So not only has it been kind of a weakness in every game for Michigan on that interior defensive line and holding up against, uh, you know, straight on blocks at the linebacker level, but that's also the biggest thing that Ohio State is going to try to do. And what they did yesterday to Northwestern was just kind of steamroll them, um, even on a day that Justin Fields was not playing well. So uh, in terms of how to fix that, um, every defense can be, can be kind of determined, you know, you, you can take any defense and, and use it, weaponize it to attack in any way. I, I was getting very frustrated every time I saw Don Brown come out in the three, three, five look where there were three defensive linemen. I think he was kind of forced into that a little bit by personnel where he felt that he had more talented defensive backs which would be the five in the three three five if you're trying to get your best 11 players on the field then uh in the recent past he had more defensive backs and linebackers that should have been on the field than defensive linemen and i think that personnel problem was the the fatal flaw for the program the last couple years defensively i i personally think that we'll we'll end up in in an even four-man front, a little bit more traditional with two defensive tackles, two defensive ends, and, and try to use different blitz packages to create, to create pressure. 
I'd be really surprised if they switch to an odd man front. That's either three three five or three four, um, but it, it could happen. But I, I think that it'll be more of a traditional four three, maybe a four three under, where your defensive end um, isn't necessary. One of the defensive ends isn't necessarily an edge rusher as much as he kind of clogs your your strong side running attack, and that's like the the anchor position that uh, Rashawn Gary and and then Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson both kind of flip-flopped on that role these last couple of years. But that, that, I think that they're going to run something similar in terms of front to what Don Brown did with his four-down four lineman front. However, they may start trying to funnel things to the inside and start looking for guys that kind of clog the running lanes uh, on the defensive line and maybe uh, um, uh, you know linebackers that – that are just going to plug gaps on the inside and that may not be able to run quite as fast sideline to sideline and maybe are, are just tougher inside those A and B gaps at uh, not giving up ground. Um, but, but we'll see. There's, I, I still think it's, it's a development and a personnel problem, regardless of scheme that you pick right now, you're, you're going to have to be creative to try to maximize what you've got. And Don Brown was doing that. He, he was trying to adapt and, and utilize guys like Josh Uche last year uh, in roles that, that maximized what they were good at. But eventually he, he ran out of cards to play. And um, that what he was trying to do, he, he didn't have the horses to go do it anymore. And we saw that crumble in 2020. One of the points you brought up about Ohio State and their success in running the ball really comes down to just how good their offensive line is, right? And not taking anything away from Justin Fields. Um, I think he's an outstanding player, but Ohio State, and, and I think this is something that, that gets overlooked, is that Ohio State year in and year out has a really good offensive line. And, you know, uh, the year that really uh, illuminated that for me was in 2014, right? So um, 2014, uh, they lose their starting quarterback, you know, Braxton Miller, you know, hurts his shoulder just a few weeks before the season starts, right? So they elevate JT Barrett, also another very good quarterback, and I remember being down at Ohio State talking to some of their folks in the press box, and I'm like, hey, you guys are having a pretty good year with your second-string quarterback. Man, I bet you even your third-string quarterback could look great behind this offensive line. And and they scoffed at me that, oh, Cardelli Jones, no, no, he, he couldn't win anything. Now, of course, in that game, uh, you know, J.T. Parrott breaks his ankle, and Cardelli Jones takes them to a national championship. And what's interesting about that is, you know, he he kind of, you know, didn't have a real great career in the NFL. And it reminds me a lot of Dwayne Haskins, right? It's you can look really great when you're behind a great offensive line. And I think um, that, you know, when you look back to that team, Ed Warner was one of the guys who helped architect that offensive line. So the question is. Uh, you know, and again, you know, you know, Clint, I'm I'm primarily an offensive guy. 
Um, you know, how I think we fix the defense is, is primarily, you know, fix the defense, but also we need a better offense, right? We need to score more points. And, and again, very high level stuff, but that's why I was really concerned when I saw that, um, Zach Carpenter, uh, went in the, um, transfer portal because when we were gearing up for this season, you know, you had a, a fifth year senior, who was starting at center and Zach Carpenter was the backup. And I remember thinking, you know what? I would really rather see Zach Carpenter at center because, you know, let him, uh, you know, learn on the job. And then we're, and then we're set in that position for two or three seasons potentially. Right. So my big concern is that um, it looks like we're resetting the offensive line again. And the, the general consensus is, you know, in a, my observations are, you really need a season under your belt. You know, you, uh, when guys come in, they really need a year to build up, get strong, and, and uh, you know, build themselves up to Big Ten standards. So I was really hoping we were going to find some answers on the offensive line this season. I, you know, again, with with Zach leaving, that, that just opens up another big question. So that's my concern heading into next season is um, – you know, we have a, an offensive line that needs to be reconstituted and, uh, you know, potentially a, a new defense coming in. So lots of questions that, uh, you know, if, you know, as we're assuming Jim Harbaugh is going to be back, um, it sounds like, and I think we're getting the, uh, the, uh, the head nods that uh, there's going to be some, some epic changes in the coaching staff. So they'll definitely I, those things are going to have to be resolved, you know, sooner rather than later, um, you know, in a matter of weeks as as guys start shifting around. You have to wonder if uh, Jim Harbaugh has his eye on a, on a defensive replacement, a defensive coordinator, and that person's not currently available right now due to their season not being done, either in the collegiate ranks or the NFL. So lots of stuff. Uh, is going to start shaking loose in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about moving forward. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like we said before, I think is those first couple dominoes fall, we'll be able to uh, to kind of project uh, directionally, kind of what's going on, and 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 provide a little bit more depth on on where we think that it's going. I do kind of uh, you know echo what you said. Um, about being disappointed to see Zach Carpenter go into the transfer portal, especially since once uh, Vistardis was hurt, Carpenter stepped into a starting role. Um, so you kind of wonder uh, what the uh, what the issue was there. Um, it certainly wasn't opportunity. You know, it looks like uh, you know he was he was ready to kind of take take that um, job. So uh, we'll see, but that's that whole transfer portal and, and the change in the rule that's going to be coming uh, for the 21 season is another, another kind of really meaningful shift in the landscape of college football in that um, kind of the success that uh, Michigan had with Mike Dana when uh, he grad transferred from CMU and played last year and was very uh, a really productive defensive end. Maybe Michigan starts to be a bigger player in terms of bringing in uh, transfers from the portal to fill spots where where they've been less successful. Um, 
thinking specifically uh, on that interior defensive line or, or potentially now um, to fill spots on the offensive line where you need guys that have been in a college division one weight training program for a couple years. Um, so, so that's a potential uh, kind of strategic shift that we may see given the rules changes that maybe, maybe that's the idea is to be a more active player in, in recruiting those transfers. Um, and, and that's another angle that, that we'll kind of keep our eye on. What, uh, what troubles me a bit is, you know, love Michigan, go blue. Wouldn't be doing this if I didn't, right. We wouldn't spend this much time talking about it, but, uh, you know, one of the things I like to do is kind of take the label off the team and kind of look at it objectively and heading into this off season, you know, we take the, we take Michigan off and we, we call them Acme, right? So we have the Acme football program. Um, the Acme football program is uh, resetting their defense. They have no set starter at quarterback, and the offensive line is is uh, a work in progress. It's going to be a really interesting year. And uh, definitely know that uh, whomever Jim Harbaugh brings in is going to have a lot of expertise and a lot of experience, but there's going to be a lot of work to do to get this team to be uh, to be more competitive heading into next season. And uh, hopefully it will be fun to watch. We know it will be interesting. I just hope it will be fun. Yeah, that's that's 100% right. I'm, I'm with you. That no matter, no matter which answer emerges these next couple weeks, it's going to come with a lot of hard work in order to make it uh, to get back to the standards that, that the program has set for itself. That's for sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.